Are you ready for some nosy bitches? Because this is about to get explicit. Hey, bitches. Hey, friends. Hey, Carla. Michael. How are you doing, girl? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. This summer, this is my only commentary, is fucking hot. Oh, my God. It's Carla. so hot and I just, swampy. I literally, before we started recording, pulled up the forecast for the next like 10 days hoping number one that there would be some rain in there i'm not even concerned about the temperature at this point i just need some damn rain none it's like 95 and hot and sunny every day all day with 1000 percent humidity for the foreseeable future how are you doing in that <laughs> it's because this indiana this, boy is struggling yeah i was gonna say it is definitely miserable I, I like play a game with my air conditioning where it's 70 at night yeah and then by 10 a.m it's up to 72 and then i have to like move, because i don't want it to burn my ac out then i'm moving it up to 74 75 and then as soon as like the sun starts to set we start piping it right back down Till I get to 70. This is how I believe. It's make-believe. Like how I believe I'm keeping my AC alive. Yeah. And and making it good. But yeah, it's Swamp City out there. We are having ours replaced tomorrow. One of them. So Ooh. wish us luck. Because yeah. we have to go through all of tomorrow with no AC. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> but I mean, like, what are we going to pick this summer? You know? Like, yeah. You, you got to pick a day. No, you're right. Anyway. Forget the summer. You have a story for yeah, us today. Yeah, so I'm actually surprised that I didn't know more about this case. And maybe I did, but I, I guess I just didn't really recognize the name. And of course, I'm taking us back really to like the late 80s, early 90s, which I think is like our perfect area. Yeah, yeah. But this case has all of the things that made those 90s cases so electric i mean just crazed media there's always a pivotal person to put all the blame on that's right and then i think for this one this i honestly don't know if i understand if she is guilty truly or not i think this is really one that i watched some of the documentaries that they've put out about it and in reading some of the things i'm Honestly, probably like 50-50 if I think that she's truly guilty. I don't think that she's fully innocent, if that makes sense. I'm not quite sure that the punishment fit her crime. Yeah. And this one's hard, too, because there's not a lot of evidence in that regard. I think there's a lot of thoughts here. I'll be really curious if at the end, if you think that she is truly guilty for what she's been convicted so she's truly guilty. She's doing her time. She is doing her time. She's truly guilty for what she was convicted of. But do we feel it was the right punishment for what she did? Right. The other thought when you were like briefing me with this one that is on my mind as I get ready to dive into this is I wonder how her case might be viewed differently if it was first being brought to light today in the post Me Too era. I do feel like there was a little bit of, from the little bit that I know about this, of it's it's her fault. And I feel like we've changed the conversation around women's culpability in a variety of situations for some of this. Not to say, to your point, I yeah. don't know that she's completely innocent, 
but would we be putting more scrutiny and more responsibility on our male counterpart today than we did back then? I don't know. Yeah, I I was going to say, we will definitely come back to that thought because I have some thoughts on what I think whether or not in today's stage. So if we take us back to the 80s, so we are talking about really the murder of Gregory Smart. And they call this the case of Pamela Smart. A little bit of sourcing. There is a couple of documentaries. There's one on HBO, but there's also one on Hulu. It's American Murder, The Case of Pamela Smart. If we go back to the 1980s where Pamela Woha met a Gregory Smart over Christmas break in New Hampshire. So even though Pamela was from Florida, her family had moved to Derry, New Hampshire. Whoa. Yeah. That's quite the juxtaposition there. Yes. (laughs) A little bit about Pamela. So she grew up in Miami. Her father was an airline pilot and her mom was a stay-at-home. And after moving to Derry, she was a cheerleader. She was very smart. She got really good grades. She was a class president in high school. She ended up going to college back in Florida at FSU, so Florida State University. And she hosted a radio show there. They called her the Maiden of Metal. I think she hosted two different shows, but one of them was Heavy Metal Show. How cool. Yeah. And it's interesting. Her family seems very, I don't know if they were necessarily well-to-do, though it does seem that they probably have some money. She came from a really good family. While she was on break there from FSU, she comes home. She goes to a party of a mutual friend, and that's where she meets this young, vivacious, kind of long-haired rocker, Gregory Smart. And she would later return um, to Florida State University. But Pamela said, like, Gregory was so handsome, big dimples, like, very happy person. And friends would say that night the relationship was sealed. They were forever from then on out, Pam and Greg. And they were immediately in love, and they started this long-distance relationship all the way from New Hampshire to Florida. But remember, this is the late 80s. So their only mode of communication is calling on the telephone, and we don't mean somebody's cell phone. We mean calling someone's house phone. Yeah. And a lot of probably like young adults, unless they were living with their family, they may not even have had a house phone. I can imagine her at a dorm or something like that, sharing a phone with 20 other girls <laughs> trying to like <laughs> vie for the attention. And so Greg wasn't going to school. He'd been thinking about moving anyway. And he decided to join Pam in Florida. And while she finished her degree there, according to her, she knew he was the one. So it was an easy decision. Um, They're pretty young, so they're probably like 19, 20 at this point in time. They're babies. Yeah, they are. Young, in love. You think you know everything, though. I'm sure they thought they knew all the things. Yes. (laughs) Thinking about a 20-year-old that I know who thinks he knows everything. It's fair. He might might know a lot. Listen, that's, that's part of his rite of passage. Yes. That's right. So in 1988, Pam graduates from FSU, and the couple returns to Derry, New Hampshire, to be closer to their family. Both of their families live there. Little side note, they have a dog named Van Halen that oh, is named a, after Van Halen oh, okay. called Halen. And that's still cool. It's in a ton of pictures. Like, it's definitely one of the pictures I'll share. I think it's even in their wedding picture. It's 100% a Lopsa Opsa, which is the dog. That <laughs> that's I, I was going to say. That's your spirit animal. Yeah. I now want to write Pamela and find out what happened to the dog. But her dog looks just like my dog, Dorothy, except hers looks like a show dog and mine has short hair because it's Florida and swampy outside. That's right. Pamela gets a job in Winnicunit High School, 
So she's about 21 here. I think they probably met when she's about 20, maybe 19, 20. Was she as a teacher or what was her role? No. So she worked at the media center. So she wasn't a teacher. So she wrote like press releases, maybe like short videos, help students use the equipment. I would almost. So she was like university staff, but she wasn't a even, professor. Well, she was. It was for a high school. Oh, high so school. So she's okay. like a media, like in the like a You're library. Like a librarian. Okay. Yeah, and but not even the librarian. Like the librarian's assistant. assistant. Not a teacher. Want to drive in this point? She's twenty one. She is an adult by all means, and I think that like I don't agree with her actions that happen further. She's not a teacher. She's not 40 years old. She's not 35 years old. She's not in a position of authority. Right. She's 21. So still old enough to know better. Still young enough to be super dumb. Her husband, Greg, like we said earlier, always been a big personality. And he was. He was kind of a partier. He was a rocker. Had long hair. He was really like, he was an 80s kind of heavy metal kid. But, you know, he comes back to Derry and he decides to, like, grow up. And so he decides to join the family business and he's going to sell insurance. So instead of, like, maybe dreams of being a rocker, he's going to come home and sell insurance. I'm Cut su- the hair. I'm feeling such, like, we have the Florida, New Hampshire thing. I don't know, like, culturally or climatically you could get, like... <laughs> any different. Any different with the two. And now... To go from rocker, like, name my dog Halen, to being an insurance salesperson. <laughs> and when you see pictures of them, they are 100% look like American sweetheart couple. Okay. She actually looks like, I cannot remember the actress's name, but she 100% looks like the female actress in the movie Cocktail that Tom Cruise was in. Isn't her name Elizabeth something? Yeah. Elizabeth Shue. Yes, literally i'll have to show you a picture it literally looks like a young elizabeth shoe in cocktail and that cocktail was like one of my favorite movies like, i that loved I watched that young tom Cruise. over yeah over, i probably had no business watching cocktail Girl, no not that <laughs> but i saw that thing like 10 years old yes <laughs> loved it he's doing the grown-up thing he's getting a grown-up job he got a grown-up haircut and this is the same insurance company where his dad had worked And so, like most young couples living together and forming a life, they decide to get married on May 7th, 1989. And they had a beautiful 80s wedding. Hey, my wedding date was May 6th. Oh, very close. Um, 80s wedding. Yes. (laughs) Pamela wore a crown of baby's breath. And the bridesmaids were in pink, big sleeved, poofy bridesmaids dresses you just lean into that shit. yes white limousines do it it's so interesting because it would all come tumbling down in less than a year from this date that was so full of hope like their friends their family are there watching their two friends that they were like sealed in this fate of love share their vows share stories it's crazy to think that probably some of these people especially like distant family members They had just been at their wedding, and within a year, almost to the exact date, they would be attending Greg's funeral. And just trying to understand what happened in 12 months that would bring them to utter demise. 1989 is when they get married. So then we're going to fast forward to May 1st, 1990, in Derry, New Hampshire, around 10 p.m. Pamela Smart would come home and find her husband passed out. So she comes up to the door, 
feels like something isn't right. The lights aren't on. She's very confused because she knows her husband's at home. She can see his truck. Not sure why there's no lights on. Opens up the door, sees him lying in the hallway, and immediately takes off for the neighbors. And they're living in a condo. It, but really, to me, it looks like glorified apartments. So then maybe, I guess they called them condos there, but they were definitely apartments. So she very quickly can run to the neighbor's house. And the neighbor calls 911 for her and says, hey, she thinks her husband is unresponsive in the hallway. 911 very quickly shows up. The police and Pamela would enter the house. So just for like a quick age check, at this point, Pamela is 22 and Greg is 24. At the same time, probably not long after the police, Greg's family shows up because again, this is where both of their family live in this area. And at that time, the police would pronounce that Greg was dead. Oh my God. Daniel Pelletier was assigned as the homicide detective. And really this was the first homicide case of the year. We've talked about this with kind of sleepy small towns. Sure. They said that possibly even the year before that, but they did have some detectives that felt like they had some some experience, while it may not have been huge, the police really could not immediately identify what happened to Greg. It did look like he had been hit or some type of trauma to the head, but they couldn't tell if it was like blunt force trauma. The coroner would actually come back and share that he was actually shot in the head, and um, they would identify that he was possibly shot by like a 38 caliber gun. How, oh my gosh, like I just have like, how was he not like bleeding out? How was it not obvious that he had been shot in the head? That's what I don't understand. Like, I'm like, wait, what? I nick my mole when I shave my head and that thing bleeds for 20 minutes. Yeah, like, that's what? what I wonder is like, so the bullet was lodged in his head. So maybe it didn't. So maybe like, like, maybe that's why it wasn't bleeding out. But I did think that was very curious is like, why couldn't you tell? I've seen that with some other cases that either we've talked about or I've listened to before where they couldn't tell the difference between somebody being shot or somebody being hit in the head it wasn't immediately clear well it makes sense the thought that came into my head was like when there's a stab wound like we did this with the robert Wan case where often you don't start bleeding out until that is removed and that often in fact the knife does more damage coming out than it does actually going in i don't know if that's true with bullets but i I think i'm tracking so far and we've talked about it before 70s, 80s, and very early 90s, too. This really is police doing investigative, like trying to put all of the pieces together, asking people questions, and going with some of their gut around things because there's not a lot of DNA at the time. There is fingerprints and hair analysis and shoe prints and things like that. But just a lot less science than there is today. Right. So immediately the police start looking around and the detectives start to look around and try to look at the scene and see if they can piece together like what happened. So immediately see that the apartment or condo has been trashed and there was jewelry missing. The police also noticed that the back door was open. But the police did wonder like why would the perpetrator come in that specific apartment on a weeknight with neighbors all around them. Again, it's like an apartment they share. I think it was like every two condos. It's almost like a uh, Like duplex. a duplex sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. And there were a lot of duplexes all together. Okay. Especially if somebody's being shot. You'd imagine like neighbors are hearing or people are hearing break in. Yeah, you're like close together I feel like it's here. a high risk yes. thing that you're taking. So the other thing that's really suspicious for them is they find Greg's wallet and his wedding ring still on his body. 
So It's not robbery then. Right. Because you didn't take money or valuable jewelry. Yeah. So they needed to dig into this smart family to understand, like, why was Greg the victim? What was about it that seemed very specific to Greg? Because he's also not like this crazy wealthy guy either. He's an insurance salesman. It's not like the John Bonet and why right. did someone target the Bonet family and then you go to her father and it's like, oh yeah, that's why. And they're young yeah. too. They're in their 20s. Yeah, this doesn't, interesting. Okay. So after searching the apartment, the investigator searches Greg's truck where he finds a joint. Again, immediately like war against drugs. One joint makes people immediately think drug deal gone bad. Or that possibly (laughs) Greg is the next. uh, You know what? You go, Greg. So though they don't find anything else related to drugs in the house, there's no other paraphernalia. They don't find any other joints or anything. It's just this one solitaire. He's occasionally smoking a doobie. Yeah. After some questions from Pam's friends about why they haven't talked with her yet, the family's there, Pamela's friends show up, and I guess the investigators are, are getting questioned like, hey, why haven't you talked to his wife yet? And they're like, okay, fine, guess it's time. Let's talk to the wife. They start to ask Pamela, like, where were you? What, you know, what led up to this event? And Pamela had to attend an admin meeting at the school. So she called Greg around three to let him know. Her agenda item was last, so she had to stay in order to share. And so she got home around 10-ish. And again, like, felt weird about the lights being off. Greg should have been there, opened the door. Greg's in the hallway, and she could tell that the apartment had been messed up. She ran to the neighbors. She recounts that she felt like she was worried that maybe the intruder were still there. I just want to point out that, like, admin meeting 3 p.m., and you don't get home till 10. What the fuck kind of teacher meeting is this? Dear God. I would have quit the following (laughs) day. If it is a four-hour admin meeting... Oh, even longer than that. Seven hours. Maybe 30-minute commute in dairy. Probably. Yeah. We're probably being generous by 30 minutes. Like, what the hell were you doing for seven hours? May 4th, the family and Pamela's family would bury Greg. The media really does start to pick up this case immediately. This very young couple and tragedy struck right at their, you know, at this point, they are three days prior to their wedding anniversary. Yeah. For this small town, they hadn't seen anything like this in a long time, if ever. And it's always like a big headline. Like you think right. of like the Brian Langford, Gabby Petito. Like part of the reason this captures our attention is because the, these are young people with so much of their hopeful lives ahead of them. This isn't supposed to happen right. to them. We're not supposed to be attending a funeral of a 24-year-old. Even though the police had asked Pam to not talk to the media... She was hearing some rumors that possibly Greg was involved in gambling or drugs, and she felt, as his wife, that she needed to make sure that the people knew that this wasn't true. So on her one-year anniversary, she would have her first interview with the media. She even shared that she still had her wedding topper, even going as far as to go pull it out of the freezer and show the reporter and the camera crew her wedding topper. The police are really frustrated at Pamela for having these interviews. And it's not that talking to the media is what frustrates him. But as the wife of someone who's died, they're trying to keep her abreast of the investigation, like letting her know what's happening. And she is literally then opening her mouth and telling the media things that they don't want her to tell. So it's not so much that she's talking, it's that she's now sharing stuff that they would like to keep close to the best. The other thing is in the back of their mind is I felt like the interviews was much more about 
her and her feelings. They just felt like the interviews were much more about her and not as much about Greg. But again, these are police. They're always a little suspicious of the spouse. As they should be. The husband did it. Yes, always. (laughs) But because of this, because she was sharing and giving out information to the public that they didn't want her to, they cut her out. Like, they stopped sharing information. They would allow her to give them information, but they were not giving her any more information. I have complex feelings about that because I do understand if you're starting to feel that the public opinion to you is is such that it's going to sway a jury, a criminal investigation, I just... Right or wrong, I understand her desire to share her perspective on what happened and how it's affecting her. Even her desire to come off as a loving wife. Like, no, this is my husband. I love him. What are you talking about? I want to find out what happened too. Devil's advocate, right? She is 22 years old. She's very young. She wanted to be a journalist. This is very exciting thing. Right. Even if she's 100% innocent and everything about what she's doing is on face, like, this is probably still kind of exciting and a very traumatic thing. It's fair. That's happened to her. I feel like I can see My whole point is like I get it a little bit. I just, I hate that demonization thing that we do that we've talked about in so many of these. Like let's just, she has plenty in this story that she's actually guilty of. Let's not paint on additional things that aren't fair and that we wouldn't hold ourselves to those same standards. And I think it's the same thing that like what happened with John Bonet and it, it happens all the time is that sometimes the police become very resentful of like you sharing with the media because then it leaves the media open to maybe chastise the police or interpret that the police isn't doing their job or not doing it fast enough. They get a lot of slack from it. And so like sometimes that can cause a lot of problems between the family and the police investigating. And we've seen that turn really ugly with like the Ramseys, for example. That's right. So the investigation in its first week had already started to hit a wall. But a phone call would come into the tip line. An anonymous caller would call in and say that she worked at an Italian restaurant where her 15-year-old co-worker was talking about a woman who was trying to have her husband killed. The caller said that another 15-year-old girl named Cecilia had information about this. So the police immediately recognized the name Cecilia because that was actually Pamela's intern at the high school. They were like, oh, well, let's definitely go talk to her and find out what information we can give her. Cecilia tells the investigators that she's very enamored by Pam and she wanted to be a journalist herself. She denied at first knowing anything about the murder, but she does say that she stayed at the condo the week before the murder. The police, well, that's interesting because we asked Pamela to give us a list of the people who had been in the house and Pamela had been very meticulous, even saying somebody who had delivered water, named all of the people, but but yeah, lift this person off the list because, and the reason that they wanted it is fingerprints. They wanted, they could eliminate any people that, yeah, they're getting hits on in the house or around them, but they don't need to be considered. Yeah. Yep. This is just adding to the growing suspicion that the police have. No hardcore evidence here, but every corner they're Why like... Why did you leave that out? Feeling very skeptical. Continue. June 10th, 1990, a man walks into the police department and says that a friend of his teenage son says that his gun, the father's gun, was used in the murder of Greg Smart. Of course, not believing that his kid would have anything to do with this, he goes to get his gun and take a look at it, 
and he noticed that his gun is clean when he knew that he had put his gun up dirty, meaning to clean it later and had never done it. So now the father becomes very worried and good father, good on him. He's like, I need immediately need to go talk to the police. He takes this gun in and says, this is a story that I've been told. This gun is not in the condition that it should have been, that I left it in. Check it out. And sure enough, it's a 38 caliber. They can't- Same caliber gun. Yeah. They can't, it's not DNA. They cannot exactly identify like, yes, but it's consistent. And it narrows it down considerably. Right. right? It's very consistent. Immediately, the police want to interview the young man who had said- who had went to the father and said, hey, your son is doing this. And his name is Ralph Welch. Ralph is a young man who had been taken in by the Latimer family. He was friends with the son, Vance Latimer, who goes by J.R. for junior, and another boy, Pete Randall, and another young man, Billy Flynn. It was like a little foursome group. Ralph tells the police that Billy had been bragging about this murder and after he confronted them he ended up telling him how he had killed greg smart ralph's conscience could not handle it so that's why he went to the father and was like hey i think your gun might have been used and the story kind of goes that the boys had broken to the house pete had held greg down and billy pulled the trigger what the it almost reminds me of the Valentine Massacre. Yes. Almost like this thrill. The police just couldn't figure out, like, why would these three young men be? Or is it, like, just being a teenagers and they're, like, bragging about something? Yeah. I mean, like, was this just, like, a, a for fun kill? Or did this have motive behind it, right? That's so cold-blooded. Holy shit. You're supposed to be just kids. Right. <laughs> like, and, and they are. They're, like, 15, 16. Ah. These, are, these are, like, 15. I think, like, maybe one might have been 16. But they are, they are young kids. Yeah. And so the police are asking, like, well, did they say why they killed him? Well, sure enough, they say they killed him so that Pam could get the life insurance money. It was mentioned that she liked the dog more than Greg. Let's be real. Most of us like our dogs more than we like most human beings. (laughs) So, like, that's not a reason to kill anybody. I was going to. Okay, like, that's just not. The boys mentioned that he was worth more dead than alive. They realized that J.R., Pete, and Billy have been involved in other juvenile crimes, such as break-ins, like minor thefts, things like that. And they realize that all the boys go to the same high school where Pamela works. It's discovered as part of a school assignment around self-esteem that they meet with a mentor and Pamela was assigned to two of them as their mentor, one being Billy. And another connection is that Cecilia is also friends with these guys. Mm -hmm. So it's a kind of a group and Cecilia's there and here is Pamela who works there at their high school and then is also specifically two of the boys, their mentor, and of course, Cecilia works for her as her intern. We had a lot of people that were working as aides, staff, even teachers that were like fresh out of college. Mm -hmm. And I cannot fathom the complexities of being a 22, 24-year-old teacher working in a place where many of your students are 17, 18, 19 realistically in other circumstances outside of your school those people are in your peer group but because of this institution they're not you can't interact with them like that because you work here and they go there 
Yeah. You know, like that's just, but it's a really complex kind of messy dynamic, you know? So the, I won't go too far down this hole, but like I went to a, a new high school. It was a newly built. So we had a lot of really young teachers. By the time I was a senior, it, and I was, I turned 18 in my senior year before I graduated pretty early on because I had, I had a late birthday. And I definitely had a teacher that was like, a few of teachers that were like 24 maybe even 23 and while I didn't really know them like a lot of my friends that I went to school with their older siblings were friends with these teachers the other thing is lived in a beach town so one of the only bars in the whole town was this little like beach bar and so of course high school we worked there we went there not as a bar we went there to eat and our teachers would be there drinking having a good time being adults yeah. And we would get to watch them. It was a very interesting dynamic. And most of the teachers really made sure there was a hard line. Yeah. We were kids. We were not their friends. And we were never going to be their friends. There was a couple of teachers that probably were a little more open to knowing that, that we were essentially almost adults, too. We were still their students. And yeah. they were still our teachers. Um, but it is a very interesting dynamic my hometown, I grew up in a super small town, and I won't use names, but one of my teachers that I had, and it was the year after I had him, I believe, ended up having an affair. It was found out that they had an affair with a student when that student was a senior. Now, that student was now no longer a student, was now graduated, was in college, and the teacher was pretty young, wasn't quite as young as we're talking about here, but was in his 20s when this happened so it wasn't like an unreasonable it wasn't like a 60 year old teacher right 18 year old students like it was just more gray than that and i remember it being this huge huge scandal and don't get me wrong like that is messed up it is not appropriate under any circumstances for you as an authority figure and and teacher in that school to have that kind of relationship with your students. Like, you couldn't have waited until she graduated. Nah, you had to, like, do it senior year Are you for real. And as far as I know, they're still together. It just makes it more complex when you look at some of these dynamics where the ages are so close together. And really the only thing that makes it inappropriate is the dynamic that they're existing in right. together. It's the, it's the power. It's the power control. dynamic. Yeah, it's the power dynamic. And in this regard technically she doesn't she's have not a real power yeah you know so it's just weird but again she's still so, she's still an authority you are. figure it's still not okay i'm just saying it's messy it 100 percent. that's exactly how i feel a, a, very conflicted yeah in a place i did not feel i would be conflicted <laughs> no so i have i would have viewed this very differently and i may view it differently again in 10 years but like 10 years ago i would have viewed this very differently i think and i say all of that also to say that if someone who were 22 were messing with my 16 year old male or female child i would have very strong feelings about that because it's my kid i may or may not have once upon a time pursued a relationship (laughs) with a professor when i was in college that did not go anywhere but i still pursued it so like even from that perspective of like from the student I understand the desire for that. Yeah. I know now that was completely messed up and inappropriate. I would never do that again. But I didn't know that at the time. Like, you're just young and dumb. It's it's not okay. No one come at us. I'm not <laughs> saying it's okay. It's I wrong. Know. I and just, I it's just messy. Safe space. Safe space. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> 
So the police also discover that there's a life insurance policy for about 140000 Oh, shit. Yeah. So which on the surface, like 140000 is still a lot of money, it, though. Yeah, it's not earth-shattering. And he worked in insurance. So it's, like, not surprising that he if had he a life insurance a policy. policy, right? That's right. It's still a good-sized policy for someone so young, if you think that you're in, like, 1990s. The police are researching what's happening, and they're listening to Ralph's story, and they're finding the connection between Pamela. They move fast, and they get arrest warrants and search warrants, and they go looking for these boys. The three young men doesn't take very long. They are arrested. Due to them being minors, their names are withheld from the media announcement and public statements. Because the police had shut Pamela out of the investigation, Pamela doesn't find out that the boys have been arrested. There's actually like a news report that comes out and says that like three teens in this town, it's like right outside of Derry, are arrested. And immediately she's trying to find out who was arrested. So in her version, she calls Billy Flynn's house, his mom answers. And according to her, she was calling to find out if he knew who had been arrested when she finds out that he was arrested. I feel like that's probably a little bit of storytelling, but sure, we'll go with her events. The boys are in custody and they're refusing to talk without their lawyers. So the police decide to go. Good for them. Yeah, though. they have lawyers. <laughs> that's right. Um, probably public defenders, but they have lawyers and they're not talking. They're not saying a word. So the police go back to their original source, Cecilia, to see if they can get more information about what she might know. And the police really begin to apply pressure because, again, you don't have a DNA. You've got to get a confession. You have got to get, like, proof positive that somebody knows something and they feel like Cecilia knows something that's happening. And so they kind of say, like, maybe you're involved in this. Like, there might be something here that you should be arrested as well. And they actually go as far as putting out a news release that they actually need to arrest one more person. And in conversation with the police, Cecilia and her mom become very frustrated. They leave. But then hearing that in the news, Cecilia really begins to fret. And so she talks to her mom. They call the police and have the police over to the house. Cecilia really starts to share what she has been holding back. She says that Pamela and her were really close, like a big sister. She finally admits that Pamela was in love with Billy Flynn and that they were having an intimate relationship. At the time, Billy was only 15 years old. Oh my God. I know. Cecilia says that she walked in on them having sex. That's oh. how she knew that they were having a relationship. Of course, the police are stunned because in their minds, that's I think that's not what they thought was going to happen. But they are starting to put all of the pieces together, having that information. And apparently, according to Celia, it started with this mentorship program. And here's another tie to Florida. Florida Orange Juice put out this community-wide to schools. Hey, if you come out with a really cool advertisement for Florida Orange Juice, you can win a trip to Disney World course her being this media specialist she gets billy flynn to videotape and her and her friends it really becomes an excuse for this group to hang out outside of school yeah and that's really where the temptation sets up it starts out very friendly probably very innocently and then the more they hang out with one another the more it starts to turn into something much more not innocent I, the students might have been closer to 18 but 15 
15 mm-hmm. years old like they babies i will say like the age difference is definitely like, i just remember michael a... at 15 i was not a man or anywhere close no. to it like yeah don't know that i understand cecilia says that pam was front and center in the murder plot and that there were conversations that began to happen as this relationship between billy and pamela began but it wasn't as obvious as like go kill my husband it was really like the groundwork was being laid. The police really want to get a confession from Pamela and they decide that maybe they can use Cecilia and they'll try to tape. And so they do a one-way taping of the phone and Cecilia calls Pamela at work. Pamela will not admit or talk about anything on the phone. So they're pretty much like, that isn't going to work. So the police, after much consideration for Cecilia's safety and they talk with her and her mom and the police actually the investigator says like he really thought about it like this is someone who has possibly been involved with a murder plot and i'm going to send a very young and innocent child in there after her like we really need to think about what we're doing here um you know but after talking for that yeah I, i will say like they really made sure that's clear but after talking with everybody everybody agreed this is what they wanted to do So they put a body recorder on her and they sent her in to talk to Pamela face to face. They actually go to her office. So the storyline is that Cecilia is going to say to Pamela, hey, the police want to talk to me and I need some help before I go to talk to them. I want to make sure, you know, everything's on the up and up. With the police waiting outside, Pam and Cecilia begin to talk. The conversation is really hard to hear because the technology is not that great. Like even the recorders, it's just not that great, especially like over, but it does record most of it. Um, So Pamela kind of says that she doesn't believe that the boys could be prosecuted unless there's like great evidence, like fingerprints or hair. So as long as they're being quiet, like everything should be good. Cecilia then begins to tell her that she knew about the plot beforehand and she's worried about lying. She tells her that if she says anything, this is Pamela, tell Cecilia that if Cecilia says anything that she's going to get in trouble and she should just lie. She's like, you're going to be part of this if you say that you knew about it and you're going to get in trouble. Probably the better thing is to do is like just lie about it. The other thing that they talk about too is Pamela is talking to her like, also you could get me in trouble. I could get involved in all of this. But never once does she admit that she knew anything about it. I think that you can clearly listen to both sides of it and i don't know that is clear evidence it sounds suspicious to me but i don't know that's clear evidence i think she's concerned about the affair and i think she's concerned about the police figuring out that she had this affair with billy and so you can almost hear her like you should just stay out of it if if i were you you're going to get yourself in trouble you're going to get end up getting arrested if those boys stay quiet if they don't they didn't have anything to do with it or if they did so i can see both sides of it it also isn't great there's no situation in which it sounds great i can see a situation not this one but like a situation where some of my friends come and tell me like hey i've been a witness to this thing and part of my conversation with them would be like, how sure are you th- about what you saw? And how passionate are you about the necessity for you to bring that forward? And get involved. Like, and not to say don't do it, but just like, there are some things to weigh here. So you know what I mean? Like some of that conversation, 
could be a very normal conversation between two people if we remove the fact that we of what we know in hindsight right like right. if we in, in, ignore what we already know about Pamela for people that have followed this kind of case like what she's saying isn't overtly on its face a bad thing it's just maybe even some decent advice yeah so but the police really feel like this is the nail in her coffin on August 1st and this is only two months I mean you think like May to August they're arresting Pamela Smart in connection to her husband's murder and the media goes wild. They paint her as a black widow. They so get a- the police is doing this. Like they're they're okay with them releasing or the media. Paints the media, it. Okay. yeah, the media paints her How as did a the black police widow. Portray it. Do we know at this time? Um, I think they're definitely following right along with it. It's definitely how the prosecution too. Yeah, like kind wife of tries it. to kill husband sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. In in play of this young fifteen year old too, that's also involved in the situation here. And again, they don't know the boys' names. They only have the ages. It's only they know that these boys are related in connection to this murder, and then now the wife is. But the boys' names have still not been released at this point because they're minors. Yeah. The media actually gets a hold of some bikini pictures that she had given Billy Flynn, and they post it all over national media. One headline was, quote, teacher gives lessons in love and death to three of her pupils. Oh my God. Yeah. So talk about salacious. Yeah. (laughs) So as the court case is looming, the boys have still remained silent. They have not said a word. And a very seasoned prosecutor is assigned, Maggiato. So he decides, okay, let's charge the boys as adults. Because now rather than just going to juvenile, you're going to be facing life in jail and possibly the death penalty at this point in 1990. The boys would now approach the prosecutor and say like, okay, let's talk. Let's tell you about what happened. Let's tell you about the plan. Which I'm sure the prosecutors assumed would be the case. Correct. <laughs> the other thing is, as soon as they decided to charge them as adults, their names were released to the media. So now everyone knows who they are. So now knows everyone knows who they are. Yep. So the boys would approach the prosecutor and they tell the story that Pam had plotted, they carried it out, with Billy pulling the gun. Given the fact that they would testify against Pamela Smart, that they were 15 and 16 years old, the prosecutor was trying to figure out what would be their punishment. They decided 40 years to life for Billy and Patrick. Billy and Patrick were the ones that were actually involved in the murder. The other boy, JR, actually just drove them. But they got the right to defer 12 years of that sentence upon, like, good behavior. They would actually only have to serve 28 years as long as they had good behavior. They all plead guilty with life off the table because they know they have some possibility at some point getting out. Pamela, in the meantime, hires a very good criminal attorney who's very seasoned and begins to share coverage you know, that the coverage of the media that's painting boys as these innocents and Pamela's a sexual prowess. So he immediately asks for a change of venue out of Derry, New Hampshire, as he should. But it was denied. And the court case would go on in Derry. And again, like, it had just happened. Just, it's so funny to me, like, to look back how long it takes now for court cases to come to trial. Yeah, this was only a couple months. This is just within a couple of months. It also is crazy, too, because Derry is such a small area that they would not do a change of venue. Because you know that area was inundated with this story. Sounds like someone this pulled is, some strings. Yeah, this is high school kids that go to there. This is a someone who has lived there for most of her life and Greg's life. Realistically, 
it should have gone somewhere else. Right. It should have. For everyone to feel better about this, like, 20 years later, I might have felt better about it if it had been adjudicated somewhere else. Right. The <laughs> so. other big thing about this case is this would be the first televised criminal case to allow live broadcasting in America's history. For real? Yeah. So this was coming live Dang. to the public. Johnny so, Depp, Amber Heard, this was all, this oh, was your start, baby. Yeah. So <laughs> March 4th, less than a year from when he was murdered to going to trial, the trial would begin. And cameras were everywhere. They said it was like constantly like, click, 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 that can they you, could hear. Can you imagine the boon to the economy that town felt no, from this? Oh, Dear they God. said it was, it was crazy. Um, Pamela had been in jail and held the whole time. She did not get bail. So the prosecution's case was that the teenager's older lover had told him to kill her husband. There was no smoking gun evidence to prove this statement other than the stories by the two other defendants and Cecilia. They said that she wanted the life insurance, didn't want to get a divorce. JR was the getaway driver, and he testifies first. He said that they actually called Pam Smart, used her car to drive around and plan for the murder that day. According to the boys, she didn't want them to use a knife due to all of her white furniture. And she did. She had like a big white couch, white rug. Again, it's the late 80s, early 90s. It's very popular. Kind of Miami Vice type of furniture. And didn't want them to use the knife. They needed to try to find a gun. He says that Pamela dropped them off and they picked up JR's grandmother's car as they went off to kill the <laughs> husband that night. Not only... Uh are these three boys numbskulls. They don't even have a damn car. Sure don't. They have to borrow. Whether or not I believe the whole, like, they were running around in Pamela's car for the beginning of the day, I'm not sure I believe that. I also feel like that could be easily proven of whether or not she was at work that day. Yeah. It was a weekday. And she had an admin meeting at 3 p.m. So I'm not sure if I believe that story, but they definitely went out on the murder in their grandmother's vehicle. It, I just can't. <laughs> I just can't. So according to JR, like, they were going to do it for $500. That's what they were going to get out of it. But you... Him as the getaway driver. Yeah. A lot of people who listened to the testimony really felt like JR really did not understand the gravity. They said it, like, really was very emotionless. I don't think any of them understood the gravity. You are children. We'll talk about Billy's when he gets on thing. But, like, JR was flat. Also, if you think JR's dad is the one that went into the police department, I just, like, really, what a great dad. Yeah, (laughs) no, seriously. I think my son did something. Can you find out if these idiots did something or not? They just really felt like he did not understand. And he did get a lesser sentence, still a pretty heavy one, for just being the getaway driver. Billy goes next. And he talks about how the love story between him and Pamela got started. He was very attracted to her. And he says that he got a love note from her. He says that also Pamela was his first kiss and that he was a virgin when they had sex for the first time. He goes on to describe how she told him in a movie, Nine and a Half Weeks, Kim Basinger dances for Mickey Rourke. Rourke. Rourke, thank you. And that Pamela wanted to dance for Billy like that. That weekend that Cecilia talks about going to the condo just a week or so before, Greg is out of town for work, and Billy and Cecilia are actually both at the condo, and they watch that movie, Nine and a Half Weeks, which, by the way, I've never watched. Uh, yeah, I have no They're, idea. Clearly, yeah, I need no to. Rest. Any of you that have watched that, here we go. So they watch the movie, and she takes him upstairs to reenact an ice cube scene 
in her bedroom. And he says the next day, that's where Pamela brings it up to him and says this whole, like, if you love me, you would do this. She didn't want to get divorced. She gave instructions, like, make sure the dog was in the basement so it wouldn't be traumatized. Billy recounts that they held Greg and Billy said, God, forgive me, and pulled the trigger and killed Greg. They had been laying in wait for him. They had gotten to the house before he had gotten there, put the dog in the basement, and murdered him right there in, in the hallway. Jeez. Watching his testimony, he does come off as very believable. He is sobbing through it. I'll have to share the picture. There's a huge tish- tissue box, and he is sobbing through the whole thing. And I think probably for most people, like 100% he did it. He admitted he did it. He did not do this without huge remorse and an impact on his life. That's right. That doesn't mean that he should not be held accountable, but I definitely do believe that regardless of whether or not he planned this on his own and decided to do it, he did feel remorseful, or at least it came off very genuine that he was remorseful. He also was already being punished for 40 years. It's interesting. You asked a question in a previous case. I can't remember which one. Are we safer for having Mm -hmm. this person off the street? It's one of those things where you hear that kind of thing. And yeah, he still murdered someone in cold blood. I'm not sure that you understand the gravity of it in that moment. And hearing that in that circumstance, I'm not sure I feel safer with him off the street. Right. You know, like, I don't know that that is actually benefiting to society to have him locked away for the rest of or for the next however long he is still. Yeah, I, I will say like his compared to like JR's like his testimony was very different. Yeah. Um. So next up would be Cecilia. So Cecilia testifies about the tapes and the most damning is not like this confession, but where you can hear Pam Smart telling Cecilia like they could all go to jail for the rest of their life, including her. And then she talks about how she thinks that JR is going to roll on the other boys because supposedly he was in the car and that he is going to blame Pamela and Cecilia counters her and says, so he's going to say that you were only going to pay him $500. And Pamela says, who are they going to believe like me, a professional or a 16 year old in the slammer? Those are some very kind of damning statements that Pamela makes in this recording. Let me just say something about the recording. The tapes are transcribed. And there's a lot of things that come up later about the transcription. Apparently, like, it was just transcribed by somebody in the DA's office. I guess there's some words that are wrong in the transcription. These tapes were really hard to hear. People were given little videotapes with little headphones, and they were told, listen to the tape themselves, because they are hard to hear. They are told, don't pay attention to the transcription, pay attention to the recording. Now, you know how human brain works. You do look at the wordings, but... According to the DA, they did the best that they could to transcribe these tapes. Pamela Smart's side says that that really screwed her. I don't know. They could go either way with it. Yeah, yeah. So on the other side, the defense continues to say that Pamela is innocent and that these boys are conspiring together to save their own butts by pointing the blame now at Pamela. And they're probably not wrong there. Like, whether or not she did this or did not, they benefited from saying that she was the there's no denying right that's right she's the main person there is motivation for them to remove culpability to whatever degree from themselves they admit of course the affair pamela had really no other choice but to talk about the affair 
but there was no way that she was involved. They hire an investigator. These boys are juveniles and their records are sealed, but the investigator does show that the boys were trouble and they didn't need any help from Pamela. They were already on a path of destruction, now not elevated to murder, but that they definitely had some assaults, some petty crimes, so they were escalating already. Um, They're really trying to point the boys in a bad light. The other thing that they share is that the boys had been together in the next cell from one another for the last year, that they had plenty of time to get their stories straight, plenty of time to practice crying in front of the courtroom as they recount their story. And people did question, like, why were the boys housed together in this? Like, they are co you know, co, what is it, defendants? Conspirators, Co-conspirators. Yeah. They should not have been placed together. They you should think about, have. like, the Menendez brothers. What was the first damn thing they did? Separated Separate them. Separate them up until, like, very recently. Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah, they had intentions of separating them for the rest of their lives. That's right. If they could have. So that was something that the defense pulled out. The defense also says that Billy was obsessed with Pamela, that he had this big crush, like, think about Amy Fisher, Joey Buttafuoco yep. thing, that, like, it was him who was this wild fascination with her, and Pamela cut the relationship off. Like, after they had slept together that weekend at the Cano, she was like, I cannot do this anymore, just within days of the murder happening. She was like, I need to fix my relationship with my husband, and this just isn't good for us. Yeah, I will save some of my commentary toward the end, but it's just sounding more and more like the truth is somewhere in the middle. Yes, this woman that was disgruntled in her marriage, and then the teenagers, maybe the teacher is being suggestive in some ways, but then they're reading it as much bigger than it is. Oh, so messy, Carla. Yeah, just don't know whose side to believe. Pamela does have to take the stand. She needs to be able to tell the story. She almost has to. Um, And her lawyer says that it's a myth that defense lawyers don't want their he was like sometimes you need to and he was like in this case we completely agreed that she needed to take the stand and she was on the stand for the for three days and she did a good job i watched some of the showing of her she handled herself really well maybe too well and we'll kind of discuss why her friends would testify that she was grief stricken that they talked about like during the funeral that they had to literally hold her up walking in and out of the funeral home that she loved him very much even though that she stepped out of her marriage that she loved him pamela said that greg had a one-night affair that he had went out one night he had come home and confessed greg's 24 maybe that happened maybe that's her storytelling i think it's probably okay either way you know i'm it's not an unreasonable thing. It's not thing. okay, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I yeah. could see this. They're a very young couple. It's a reasonable thing to think might have happened, yes. And she said that, like, it crushed her. Here was this person that she loved a lot and was very much in love with, and that it crushed her self-esteem, made her doubt herself. And she said that it was actually Billy that was coming on to her and making comments, and that she was really flattered and, like, needed that. And that's, like, how this developed into something more is that this thing had happened to her she felt very not pretty not loved and then here was this young kid guy whatever and that's what happened and she admitted that she slept with billy in the condo she admits that they were watching that movie but she was like 
okay? It was like a risque movie who's like rated R. And she was like, so what? They were teenagers. I'm a young adult. We were watching like a rated R movie. She was like, it was nothing more salacious than that. She was like, we did not have anything to do with the ice cube soon. It was interesting that she completely denied that piece of that very specific story. That, But she said that that's his delusion. He clearly didn't understand where the movie ended and reality began. That kind of plays into the storyline of he's this jilted, very obsessed with her lover. And she said that when she had told him a couple of days before the murder, she could not do this ever again. It had escalated too far. She didn't feel comfortable with what they did. He threatened to kill himself. And she had done a lot of talking to him, like trying to talk him down, and then comes home a couple of days later and finds her husband dead in the hallway. She says that, in fact, the conversation with Cecilia was her being, trying to be her own little investigator. Let me see if I can explain this well. Her story is that the police were not telling her anything, but yet she's getting this information from Cecilia. Cecilia is saying certain things like, oh, you know, the police found this information out. And she's like, well, how do you know this? So in her mind, maybe you know something more about this. So let me get you to say more. Right. And she's like, I'm trying to like dig it out of it. You know, as a true crime kind of wannabe investigator. Oh, this would so be. I can totally. And and you think again, like, and I'm not saying that Pamela is innocent because I honestly don't know. But if I'm just thinking like devil advocate on this side of it, I can see where her 22-year-old mind is like, oh, I'm trying to get her to tell on me. I'm trying to do the police's job and see what she's going to tell me. And she doesn't give them anything. She definitely says some things that you're like, hmm. But put in that context that really she's trying to dig information out. Okay, maybe. Maybe I could see that piece. I like, I'm still torn. Like, I, I don't know how I feel about either of those. It's, yeah, it's complicated in that sense. If you truly feel as though it's starting to not go your way, and you're not getting any information. It's hard for any of us to put ourselves in that circumstance. But there is, there's probably very little that a lot of us wouldn't do mm-hmm. to just get any kind of leg up to try to understand what the heck is coming next. But the only thing to me that like slightly cl- says that maybe this is true that she was trying to is she tells her friend, "Hey, this is kind of funny. Like, had the police tapped her phone line." maybe we would have heard some of these pieces but she tells her friend that she's going to try to do this and her friend is like you're a moron don't do that but you know she's doing this overall people watching the trial were very struck that pamela never cried on the stand and didn't appear to be a grieving widow quote unquote the one thing that pamela says is that she was raised to be very stoic and very put together yeah and that as a woman That's how she should be explaining herself. And I won't get into all my complicated feelings on like women and emotions and how we're not allowed to have them. But yet when we don't have them, we're like crazy cold hearted. I will not die on this hill. But I just will say that there is a very much a double standard. And I don't know that if she would have cried, it would have made much of a difference. But I think they said like in contrast to Billy, who was sobbing the whole time and she was very stoic. She actually, I thought she handled herself very well on the stand Three days is a long time. And it's a long time. That prosecutor, like, he's really good. They also said he's a bulldog. In fact, they had one friend testify for her, and he ate them up. 
And so the pro- the defense did not put any of her, because they're just going to tear them apart. It's not even worth it to have that many character witnesses. After three days of the jury deliberating, the jury would come back with a verdict. Three days. Three days. Okay. The jury would come back and say that she was guilty on all 12 charges. Jesus. Greg's parents let out a scream of emotion. The judge does the whole thing before I announce no one react, no one say anything, everyone remain silent. And sure enough, as they're saying guilty, his parents scream in some type of emotion or probably a little bit of not joy is probably not the right word. It's relief. You have yeah. answers. Maybe this chapter is done. Yeah, that's complicated. Yeah, it's very complicated. So the judge gave her life without the possibility of parole. Her supporters, of course, go back and say, and I think it's true, regardless of how it turned out, she should have gotten a trial outside of Derry, just due should have. to the amount of immediate attention. The jury also wasn't sequestered because of the amount of media attention. There was just no way that even if you didn't know about this case, that you didn't see the media onslaught. They said there was newspapers in the courthouse. I just, I think so much of this is so much bullshit anyway. They're all like, don't go, don't look at anything. Don't read anything. Don't Okay. Okay. I mean, it's just not even realistic. Even after all of these years later, and it's been quite a few years since 1991, um, Pamela still says that she had nothing to do with her husband's murder and she in no way plotted with Billy or anyone on it. The teenage boys were released in 2018, according to their plea agreement. And all of Pamela's appeals have been so far denied. There's actually one that was just denied in March of 2023, where she was looking from a humanity perspective to to take away the life without parole to allow her. But the biggest thing is they just don't feel like she's taking accountability because she's still not admitting. And to her, she was like, I didn't do it. In what world is I have to admit to something I didn't do in order to be possibility of being released the boys were released all of her appeals have been denied so unless some new evidence comes out she will remain in jail for the rest of her life so in a recent interview like she doubles down that the boys did this to save their lives like bill got them into this and he figured out some way to get them out of it she says that cecilia lied maybe she was jealous maybe she liked billy but that she didn't tell the truth She doesn't really have a full explanation of why Cecilia went along with it other than one of those things. She believes, too, that the tapes were edited, that there was parts of the conversations that were not there, that there was inaudible silences. And the prosecutor does admit that someone in the AG office transcribed the tapes and there were some unaudible parts. The transcription was done as best they could hear. But the jury instructions were to, like, listen to the tape, not to read the transcription. She has earned two masters. She's been ordained as a minister. She says that she has apologized to Greg Smart's family for the affair and what happened to him. She understands that regardless of not taking any accountability for his murder, murder, she does take accountability that she brought Billy into his life. And that is the reason he isn't here today. Greg's family has spoken out about the boys' parole hearing, and they said that while they would not describe it as forgiveness, they do feel like the boys were taken advantage of and that Pamela had put them up to it, but that they have served their time, that they fully admitted what they've done. They did like a a Mary Jo Buttafuoco, like, I hope you don't squander the time that you get back. 
that they got a life sentence without their brother. And according to them, Pamela Smart can rot in jail. She's actually in an interview, she was like, where is the forgiveness for for me? You've forgiven them. And his, These are the people that actually killed your son. Yeah. And his family is like, no, they have admitted what they've done. We, we haven't forgiven them, right? But we've come to peace with it, that they've served 28 years and they fully admitted their piece of it. They were also 15 and 16 years old. And that has Heaven to be forbid. some. Ad- yeah, they, there they has be to be accountable for tear God. Yeah, there has to be some piece of that, and that she never has. That she's never fully admitted her part in what they believe, and they believe that she was fully involved. She was the mastermind that she convinced these boys. One of the interviews, they say, "You will die here," and she's like, "That's what they say." I don't even know that she's fully come to terms with it um she's had a rough time in prison there was um a beating that she had um they've had to transfer her there's been some sexual assault things she's actually sued the jail she won some money for it um she had to have a plate put in her head from the beating that she got um going back to the (laughs) do you believe her story or don't you believe her story i think the truth in this case like it is in so many is likely somewhere in the middle. I can completely see a world where a young professional, not a teacher, gets mixed up in this. It is, we just talked about that, like the ages are so close and it can can become so easy. And like, I don't know what he was like, but like legitimately, this doesn't excuse it, but just, I remember going to high school, you're just at an age where like, some of the boys are boys. Right. And some of the boys have transitioned to being men. Right. And like, yes, there's this age hanging over them. But if you were to pass them by on the street, you'd be like, ah, that's a 19 or 20 year old man. Right. And and age is just something that we've kind of ascribed to it. I don't actually believe that. I'm just saying that I, yeah. I'm trying to lean into the complicated nature of that situation. I can see a world where you fall for that. And then after you've fallen for it, when your marriage is in shambles, like if I'm to believe Pamela's side of the story, to come to your senses, to take accountability for the part that you think you've done wrong, and to think that that's it. What what else do I need to say? Because I can also see a world where a child hears some statements that are probably inappropriate, but maybe overall like kind of innocuous from someone that works at their school. Like, oh, I don't really love my husband. Oh, I prefer seeing my dog when I go home. And all of a sudden... Like, no one who's ever heard me say how much I love my dog take out any member of my family. Because I, I love my dogs, Do you know but I love I mean? them more. Like, there's enough of a ringing truth in what yeah. Pamela is saying that it just makes you go, huh. Do I think that she is at least partially accountable and that she deserves to be doing her time? Yup. Do I wonder if, like, life without parole for something that she did at 22 is worth it. I also think the Mm. fact that she got life parole and like really the only like true evidence, actually there is no evidence. The only like reason that she was convicted was because of the recordings on the tape. And these emotional testimonies of these. Right. It was the story of three boys and it's almost like a reverse like Salem witch trial, right? Yeah. Where they pointed at her and said that she was the witch. And she, you know, was burned essentially at the stake. I don't know if I believe her. I don't know that they quite proved 
that she actually was involved in the murder plot. I'm coming back to at the end of this. Like, I have really complicated feelings about Pamela. I think it's good that she's doing time. I don't know that I agree with the length of time. But what I would say from the prosecutorial standpoint is, like, you are innocent until proven guilty. I don't know that they proved beyond a reasonable doubt guilt here. And I don't know if this trial was adjudicated today that it would have the same outcome. If this was a, a man, a 22-year-old man and a 15-year-old girl. Right. I would be all like, hang him. Yeah. <laughs> like, so like, that's, yeah, that's so, why I was like, I said, I have some interesting thoughts about that because I, do, I don't feel like today it would be any different because of the age difference. And yeah. I think, honestly, even with the age difference, I think what makes it worse is the fact that it's a woman and a young boy, right? Yeah. I think for a man, we definitely look, that's not good, but definitely look that way when it's a woman and a much younger boy too there is definitely still double stigma on it i i don't know why that is even myself probably have a little bit of feelings about you know the big public cases where you find this older woman taking advantage of a teenage boy i really think it's gross of a woman just because of the way that women and men mature at such a young age it's just a totally different thing you could Technically, a 15 or 16-year-old girl could technically be as mature as a 20-year-old woman, where most likely a 16-year-old boy we is take a not as... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know you've like breezed past this at the beginning, but these stigmas around women being emotional. I remember how I was at 16, and I'm pretty sure that the only thing that went through my head is sex. <laughs> like, yes. like, And stimulation and like occasionally my academic career and family would make like guest starring roles right you know like it just you're so hormonal at that age you were just so obsessed because your biology is telling you i was gonna say there's probably some truth that he was obsessed with her oh i believe you know 100 and whether or not she like laid out this murder plot and I, i believe she at least suggested some things that if you were suggesting them to an adult would be able to take them as kind of like playful flirtatious like can you imagine how many comments like that and again i'm not condoning this but like cheating spouses all of that kind of thing if you were to listen for that kind of commentary of people being like oh my wife doesn't make me happy anymore regardless of whether or not that person actually means it they're saying that in a circumstance where they're trying to appear a certain way to this other person i love how country you got in just that moment like i don't know where that that came from (laughs) i know i don't know where that persona came from (laughs) Uh, but but I, I know exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. The only thing that in my head that doesn't match is the fact that they knew Greg would be alone that night. She wasn't there. The dog was put up. There were some very purposeful things that happened that maybe she did have some something, especially because it's like the specifics of she wanted the dog to be put up because she wanted the dog to be traumatized. There is some of that that I'm like, that is weird. I just... Yes, and we've talked about this with previous ones, too. Like, let's make sure we're not giving the criminals more credit than they deserve. Yeah. Like, do I think that even if she wanted her husband dead, that Pamela is some criminal mastermind that was all like, you need to come on Thursday at exactly this time. The dog shall be in this place. You shall hide around this corner. And when the moment is right. Yeah. (laughs) I I don't think that's what happened. I'm not quite sure I'm fully bought into it. It's unfortunate that, and she says this, which I think is very true. And I, to me, it gives her some credibility is she said, like, everyone calls this the Pamela smart case. 
She was like, nobody calls it Greg Smart. She was like, he's lost. Nobody calls it the Billy Flynn case. She was like, it's me. She was like, it's always been about me. That's who they've wanted from the beginning. That's who they turned into a media circus. That's who they wanted to blame. And she was like, and I was on full display for them. It is hard because there have been other cases where they just want to get a bad guy, right? Right. Someone needs to hang for it. And a lot of times it's even something to prove. We've had previous cases where it's you need the win in order to to not have the entire system crumble, even if that means potentially putting away someone that doesn't deserve it. And maybe for overall justice, for some people that makes sense to me, but I just, we are innocent until proven guilty, not the other way around. Right. Just not the other way around. And I don't know that I'm convinced, you know, it's hard when it's been appealed that many times Mm -hmm. because it's like when you know that it's sat in front of different judges, different panels of people, and they've all come to the same conclusion, it does start to make you feel, ugh. But I guess I'm just left going, hmm. So hmm. the other thing that I'll leave us with, so she says that she still occasionally keeps in contact with Billy because in her mind, he is the key to this, to her seeing freedom one day. Because she says if he finally admits one day that I didn't have anything to do with this, I could get out. So like, hmm. Hmm. There's the case of Greg Smart. As you know, always, more topsy-turvy than I... Yeah. Lots of feelings. As soon as I watched this documentary, I was like, this is a good case for us to talk about. It's definitely the genre and the time frame that we like to discuss. To me, it has so many facets, so many things to have opinions about. And I'm just not sure. I'm like really, probably the first one, I really don't know how I feel about it. Hope you guys liked it. If you have any suggestions or things that you guys would like for us to talk about. Hit us up on the socials. Yeah, I was going to say, we haven't said it in a while. So Michael oh, oh my, Oh my God, I don't even know if I know remember how to do this. <laughs> you can send suggestions to us old school style at nosybeesforlife at gmail.com. That's N-O-S-E-Y-B-E-E-S, the number four, L-I-F-E, at gmail.com. But until next time, bitches. Bye. bye. made it to the end of the podcast thanks so much for hanging out with us and i know that we've given a lot of our unsolicited feedback but at the end of the day it's also important that we remember to stay kind stay curious but of course stay nosy bitches bitches.